Lord, I thank you so much for the blessing of seeing young people come to know you. Lord, I'm so grateful to be a part of a church that believes in the next generation. Lord, I'm so thankful that me, as a deeply flawed person, can be loved by you. Lord, I'm so grateful that we don't have to have our acts all together before we come to you. No, you're a seeking and saving Savior. You meet us in our sin. You meet us in our flaws. You meet us in all the ways that we fall short. I'm so grateful for that. Lord, I pray this morning that we would experience your amazing grace. Lord, help us this morning to understand how good it is to rest in you. Lord, I'm, I'm desperate for you. Lord, I desperately need the gospel in my life. We all do. And so I pray this morning we'd run to you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, the point is, is that the church is filled with deeply flawed and greatly loved people. If you don't think the church is filled with deeply flawed people, you guys can just look up here on the stage, okay? Uh, here's your pastor, very deeply flawed. But I'm also deeply loved by God and by others in the church. And this morning, as we go through these pa this passage, what I want you to do, if you're willing, you can take the Connect card, or maybe you brought a notepad, or you have a pen, go ahead and grab one of those if you'd like. And I just want you to write down all the flaws that you hear in this story. Okay, it'll be fun for you to do this to see how some of the people in God's word, I mean, this is God's very word, uh, really mess up and really fall short. Well, we're picking up the story here in Genesis. If you haven't been with us or maybe you're new this morning, we're so glad that you're here uh, this morning. And we've been going through the book of Genesis. And when you walk through a book of a Bible, there are some places you get to where you're like, well, I probably normally wouldn't preach on that. That's probably not something I just normally naturally preach on, and, and there have been many places that are like that, and this morning, we get to learn from God's Word in a place that maybe I normally wouldn't preach from, but I'm so, so glad that I am, because we get to see people that are heroes of the faith uh, really falling short in many ways. We just talked about uh, Jacob's ladder and, and about Jesus being the ladder, and Jacob has this vision of angels coming down and that God is affirming that he is with him. And he continues his journey away from Esau, away from his homeland to the place that God has called him. And so we're going to go through two chapters this morning. I'll stop every few verses and make some commentary on it. And uh, we'll work our way through this, seeing that the church is filled with deeply flawed people. This is Genesis chapter 29. Then Jacob continued his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the field with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. Now this wasn't a typical well where you put a bucket down. This is a well where there was water stored for people to come to. And there was this large um, rock stone that was, that was protecting it. And they would have to come together once a day and push the stone away and go get the water that they needed. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and, and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? Where from Haran, they replied. He said to them, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. And Jacob asked them, is he well? Yes, he is, they said. Here comes his daughter, Rachel, 
with the sheep. He had traveled away to this land so that he could marry someone that was actually in his own family, that he was searching for someone that would have common faith. And that might seem a little strange now, but during that time it wasn't particularly strange because they wanted to have a commonality of faith in, in the line that they had together. And so he's asking about his relatives. He's asking about uh, the people he came to see. And he's so excited that they know him and they know Laban. They know about the, his family. So he asked, is he well? And and they say, well, actually, here, here comes Rachel right now. Here comes his daughter. Look, he said, the sun is still high. and It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking to them, Rachel came with his father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and, and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and son of Rebekah, so she ran and told her father. All right, you see what's going on here? The, 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 the guy, a guy's being a guy here. You know, typically it took a couple guys to roll the stone away. He sees uh, Rachel coming, and he knows that she is beautiful, and so he goes and tries to do an impressive thing. He pushes the stone away himself, kind of looking out the corner of his eye, seeing if Rachel's looking. And then he runs over to her and kisses her. Now, it wasn't like he just made out with her or anything like that. He was greeting her with a kiss, as they would as, as long-lost uh, relatives might do. And so he greets her, and they kind of realize what's going on here. They realize that God has their hand over this uh, time where they meet together, and he told Rachel that she was a relative of her father and her son, Rebecca, and then she gets excited, too, because she starts realizing what's going on here. So she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. To meet him. Now, you have to remember, this wasn't a time where people sent a text or called and said, hey, I'm on my way. Or I'm coming. I mean, there was no way for them to tell people that they were on their way. So this would have been a huge surprise for all of them. And of course, they're ecstatic about all of this uh, reunion that's happening. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told them all these things. Then Laban said, you are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine... Should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. So he had been working for Laban during this time that, that he was there for a month. It wasn't, they, they, needed, they needed all hands on deck. It wasn't like uh, he was able to do all this stuff on his own. So having another set of hands there that were able, uh, Jacob was still strong even though he was well advanced in, year, in years. And so he's been helping Laban, helping Laban all, these, all this time over this month. And now he says, well, I, I want to pay you. I help, help me to understand what you want. And so Jacob answers in a very interesting way. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. That's an interesting way of describing someone, right? But Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and he said, I'll work for you for seven years and return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, this would be a little odd in today's world, right? 
But in that world, it, it wasn't odd at all. And so he says, I'm going to work for you. I'll work for you for seven years. I'm so in love with Rachel. I want her to be my wife. Laban agrees. And he says, it's better that I give, you her, give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they only seemed like a few days to him because of his love for her. Aww, isn't that sweet? He worked so hard for all that time, but he was so infatuated with Rachel, it went by like that. Nothing too crazy yet, right? Not too many flaws here. I mean, it's a little strange, but it's not, nothing too crazy. Just wait. It's about to get crazy. So he works for that time, and then Jacob said to Laban, after the seven years, give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to lie with her. Or some versions say I want to make love to her. He'd been waiting for seven years. Okay, He was ready to be with his wife. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. Now, this would have been one heck of a party. Okay, there would have been all kinds of eating and drinking going on. That's important to know because what you're about to hear, uh, you, you have to understand there probably was a little bit of influence of alcohol happening here. It doesn't explicitly say that, but you have to imagine that was the case. There was a great feast that happened. When evening came, Laban took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob laid with her. Uh-oh. Here's the first flaw you can write down. He made an agreement. He made an agreement with Jacob that he would give Rachel. But when it came down to it, he gave Leah. Now, you may be thinking, how did he not recognize that? Well, she probably certainly would have been veiled. There was probably some drinking that was going on there. It was nighttime. There are lots of things going on. I don't know exactly what Rachel is doing during this time. The, as the father, Laban, he would have had a lot of power over Rachel. He might have told Rachel to, to stay away. He might have told Rachel that she had to um, not even be included in the feast so that he could work out this plan that he had in place that certainly was not honoring uh, to, to Jacob after he had worked seven years for him. So when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. And Laban gave his servant girl... Zilpah to his daughter and to his maidservant. When morning came, there was Leah. Surprise. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Man, this is the church here, guys. This is God's people. And here's deception. Here's lying. Here's untruths. Deeply flawed people. I read this scripture and I feel right at home. I'm so thankful that scripture doesn't have all these stories of all these perfect people to have it all together because, man, I would feel so, so discouraged. This is a picture of people desperately needing the gospel because they're deeply flawed but deeply loved. Laban tries to explain it, of course. It's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Well, you could have told me that seven years ago. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Don't ruin her week. Then we'll give the, the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. Mm, man, this conniving jerk. I mean, he knows that he loves Rachel so much. He knows that 
he's not going to dishonor Leah either. And so he comes up with this plan. He knows, I can get another seven years of labor out of this guy. And, and that's exactly what happened. Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah and then gave Laban. And then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his servant girl, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, as her maidservant. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. Hmm. What an interesting thing here, and we're just getting started. The church is filled with deeply flawed people that are also deeply loved. As you see here, what ends up happening is you know, God's plan for marriages is monogamous, and now he has multiple wives, and now things are starting to get even more crazy. Because Leah was not as loved as much as Rachel was. And so the Lord saw that. The Lord saw that Leah was not loved. And he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. Now, obviously, having kids was a huge deal during that time to pass down all the inheritance, to work in the fields, to work on, on the farm. And Rachel was barren. And so Leah uh, was able to have children. And Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, "Is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. She conceived again and gave birth to a son, and she said, now at last my husband will, will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So she named him Levi. She conceived again. Busy time for her, isn't it? And then she gave birth to a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she gave him Judah, and she stopped, then she stopped having children. It's really interesting that she names her children how she's feeling at the time. Imagine if we did that today. We have a bunch of kids named Hungry and Tired, you know, and she's naming these people how she's feeling. It's just interesting. And so she's having all these children, and so now the love that Jacob has is starting to switch a little bit because she's bearing him children. Rachel is not. So how do you think this goes over with Rachel? How do you, what do you think? What do you think, ladies? Yeah, not good. Not good. Here's the other wife, my sister, bearing all these children. I was his first love. Now he stopped stopping loving me as much. And you can see these flaws are adding up together. Don't worry, it's going to get crazier. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Jacob's like, whoa, hello. Jacob became angry and said with her and said, "Am I in the place of God who's kept me from have, kept you from having children?" Then she said, "Here is Bilhah, my maidservant. Sleep with her, so she can bear children for me, and that through her I can build. I too can build a family." Here's a solution. We got two people involved in the bedroom here. Let's invite another person in. That's how it'll be solved. I mean, these are people that know God. These are, the pe these are people that are heroes in the faith. Another flaw after another flaw after another flaw. This is the foundation of the church. And so just like Sarah did with Abraham, Rachel does. And so she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob slept with her, and she became pregnant and bore him a son. 
Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me because he listened to my plea and given me a son. In, in those times, the maidservant having a child was just like the, the person that owned the, the maidservant having the child. So that's why she's acting like it's my own son. Because she listened to him, because of, of this, she uh, named him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I've had a great struggle with my sister and I have won. So she named him Naphtali. Then when Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her maidservant, Zilpah, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. These sisters are something else, aren't they? So now, now uh, Leah is, is understanding, oh man, now Rachel's having children through her maidservant. I know what I'll do. I'm not having any more children, but I have a maidservant too. Man, this is getting dizzying, isn't it? And Jacob's in the middle of all of this. Then Leah said, Leah's servant, uh, Zilpha, bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune. So she named him Gad. Leah's servant, Zilpha, bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, how happy am I? The woman will call me happy. So she named him Asher. During the wheat harvest, Reuben went out to the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother, Leah. Now, mandrake plants, they're called a variety of, of different things. They're, they're an aphrodisiac during the time, and so he brings them in. And, of course, they, they want it. They want to be able to have more children, and, and so... Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight and return for your son's mandrakes. <laughs> this is getting crazy. I mean, this is, this is the Bible. And I'm so thankful that the Bible includes some of this craziness because if it was just all perfect stories all the time, I think all of us would have a hard time believing it. These, this is real life. This is the mess of God's people. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. And, you know, Leah was probably trying to look as good as she could and saying, hey, you're going to be with me tonight. And Jacob is, you know, wondering what is going on here. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. He doesn't argue, though, does he? So he slept with her that night. God listened to Leah, and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my maidservant to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Sometime later she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Thank God remember Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. How are you guys doing with all this? It's pretty, this is pretty crazy, isn't it? Pretty dizzying story. We see very, very, um, it's, it's very evident that these people are flawed people. It's very evident that they're also deeply loved people, that God doesn't just strike them down right away for all the craziness that they're doing that they're going through. So all this happens and all the births of all these children with maidservants and with different wives. 
And now Jacob is ready to go back. He's ready to go back to his lands where Esau was and go back to Rebekah, even though he's going to find out that she has passed. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives, give me my wives and children for whom I have served you and I'll be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. But Laban said to him, if I found favor in your eyes, please stay. I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. He added, name your wages and I will pay them. He's doing this again with the wage thing. But he realized that there's a blessing over Jacob, that even through all this craziness, he's being blessed. So he wants Jacob to stay around. He wants Jacob to, to be with him. And so Jacob said to him, you know how I've worked for you and how your livestock has fared under my care. The little you had before I came has, has increased greatly. The Lord has blessed you wherever I've been. But now when I may do something, now, uh, when I may do something for my own household, what shall I give you, he asked. Don't give me anything, Jacob replied, but if you do this one thing for me, I'll go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through all your flocks today, remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb, and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages." And, on, and my honesty will testify for me in the future. Whenever you check on the wages you have paid me, any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted or any lamb that is not dark colored will be considered stolen. This is an odd request, guys. What a strange thing to say this is my wage, what, my, what my wages are going to be. But Laban is thinking, this seems very easy. This seems great. He could ask for a lot of things. And so he quickly agrees. He says, agreed, said Laban. Let it be as you said. That same day, he removed all the male goats and all the streaked and the spotted and all the speckled and the spotted female goats, all, them had, had, all that had white on them, and all the dark colored lambs, and he placed them in the care of his sons. And he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flock. So the plan is playing out. He goes just a little bit away and uh, is taking care of them. But Jacob was very wise, and he had a plan. And some people say here that Jacob had deceived Laban, but I think it's just him being a, a very smart and wise person because he does this. He took fresh-cut branches from the poplar the almond, the plane trees, and made white stripes on them by peeling the bark back and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. Then he placed the peel branches in all the watering troughs that they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat and came to drink, they made it in front of the branches and they bore the young that were streaked or speckled or spotted. I mean, this was really God's hand over Jacob uh, blessing him. It wasn't Jacob's cleverness necessarily of all these things, all these steps that he took. Jacob set apart the young and flock by themselves, but made the rest face the streak and dark-colored animals that belonged to Laban. Thus he made separate flocks for himself and not put uh, them with Laban's animals. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place the branches in the troughs in front of, in front of the animals so they would mate near the branches. But if the animals were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban and the strong ones to Jacob. And this way... The, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to his own large flocks and made servants and men servants and camels and donkeys. After all of those flaws, after everything that they've done to fall short, God blesses them. Does that make any sense? I mean, does that make any sense at all? I'm so thankful that's the way that God works. I'm so thankful I don't get what I deserve. 
If you hung around with me for a week and knew all the things I thought and the things I've done against God, I'm so thankful I don't get what I deserve. I'm so grateful for the amazing grace that we receive uh, from Jesus. And that's exactly what these guys got. They had amazing grace from the Lord. That they were deeply flawed, but they were deeply loved. And so that's the action step for this week is to model amazing grace. People ask me all the time over the last uh, almost two, decade, two decades, is it difficult to, to be a pastor? Well, it is, but if I tried to model perfection, it would be extremely difficult. It would be impossible. What I try to model is grace. I try to be open with my flaws with you. I try to model grace. I don't do that perfectly either because I'm a flawed person, but it's, just, it's so much easier to model grace than it is to model perfection because two things I know is that I am a great sinner and I know a great Savior. And, and that's what we should focus on as a church, that we all have fallen short that we're all sinners, that we all have done things wrong. Maybe we're not offering up our uh, maidservants to, to have sex with our husbands. Maybe we're not that bad, okay? But we all have fallen short. We all mess up. We all fall short of the standard. The standard in Scripture is perfection, and all of us fall short of that. That's why we need a seeking and saving Savior. That's why Jesus came on this earth to live a perfect life, a life we could never imagine living. And he took on all the sin, all the flaws, all the way that we messed up so we won't be defeated anymore. But if we believe in him, we can be victorious because Jesus put all that sin on him on the cross. All of our sin, past, present, and future. He put that on him. So if we believe in him, we can have eternal life. Have you ever trusted in Jesus? If you haven't, won't you do that this morning? Won't you put your faith in Jesus? Be like Barrett and Mitchell. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. It's a way to have hope and joy and peace. The late R.C. Sproul, one of my heroes, great theologian and pastor, said that no one ever asked him, no one in, his history, in the history of his ministry ever asked him, how could God love me? No one ever asked him that. Isn't that interesting? No one ever thought about their flaws, their sins, and thought, how can God love me? But many, many times, hundreds if not thousands of times, they would ask him about God's justice. They would say, well, how could God wipe out all those people or, or something like that? And he said that instead of singing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, people want to sing Amazing Justice, how cruel and sharp that wounded a saint like me. I'm so darn good, it makes no sense that the tower fell on me. And I think that's what we do as humans, is that we think that we're better than we are. And because of that, it really takes away from how good the gospel is. This story that I read this morning, if you were writing notes about the flaws, it's crazy. There's all kinds of flaws happening there, isn't it? But that's exactly the point of why it's in Scripture. Because when we look at them, we see some of the heroes of our faith that have flaws, that have, that have issues. We can realize there's hope for us too. So we need to have grace and worship with each other. That we should come together and meet each other where they're at. I want to ask this morning, if, if you got really drunk on Saturday night, would you come to church on Sunday morning? Would you? Would you raise your hand if you come to church? Okay. A few of you would. 
A lot of you wouldn't because you'd be ashamed. Listen, we shouldn't be ashamed. We shouldn't run from worship. When we're going through issues in our lives, we shouldn't run from the church. We should run to the church. If you're going through marriage issues, you're going through parenting issues, don't run away from worship. Come to both services. Join eight small groups. Be a part of it all. Don't, don't be ashamed. I think so often we look around and we see everyone that's look, looking nice in the congregation and we think, man, everyone's got their act together. I don't, so I'm going to run away from that. Let's not be a church like that. I mean, look at the heroes of our faith. I mean, they're messed up. Look at your pastor, messed up. Look around, look around. We all have issues. So let's run to Jesus, and let's have grace in our community. Rosaria Butterfield uh, is one of, one of my heroes. She was a, a gay professor who hated Christians. Uh, and she hated Christians for a good reason, because they mocked her. They were completely unwelcoming to her. They were ungraceful to her. She said, in fact, Christians at gay pride parades would yell at her that they were going to hell. She wrote an article in a newspaper many years ago attacking Jesus, attacking Republicans, attacking Christians. And many people, because of that article, responded to her very, very harshly, very, very negatively. But one pastor reached out to her. And just reached out to her with some questions and invited her over to have dinner uh, with her, um, with him and her, uh, with him and his wife. And so they had dinner together and they had dialogue for about two years. After about two years, she finally agreed to come to church. She came to church and she was met with such amazing grace that after a period of time, she put her faith and trust in Jesus. And now she is, uh, she goes around all kinds of places as an author, as a speaker, talking about the grace of Jesus. Let's, let's be a church like that. Let's be a church that has amazing grace. And listen, we're going to fall short. There's many, many times that I, I fall short trying to give grace to people. There are many, many times that we all do. But we need to love Jesus together. I mean, where else are we going to go, guys? I mean, I know sometimes we don't understand God's plan. I know sometimes we look at God's word and we're like, I don't, I don't get how that all works together, but we're going to run from Jesus? No, we can't do that. Jesus is where we find hope. It's where we find faith. It's where we find truth. And that's why we have to follow him and we have to obey him, even though sometimes it's difficult to do that. And we need to love one another. We need to be honest about our growth and honest about our struggles. And listen, we're not going to walk into a church and just start announcing all of our struggles. But we have small groups together where we can do what God's word says. First uh, John 1, chapter 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You notice it doesn't say that we purify ourselves from all sin. It doesn't say when we get our act together, then he purifies us. It doesn't say that we have to come up with a plan to overcome all of our flaws. No, it's, it's Jesus that does it. And nobody is going to point us to Jesus other than our brothers and sisters in Christ. We, we need each other. Don't run from the church. Run, run to the church. And then we need to love lost people. Listen, we're, we're going to get it wrong when we love lost people. And when we get it wrong, we, we need to apologize. We need to make it right. We need to go out of our way to show people the gospel. And, and when we get it right, when we have the truth of Scripture, don't apologize for that either. That we need to be able to give people truth and love. This story in Genesis 29 and 30 is the story of the church, whether you like it or not. 
It's deeply flawed people that are deeply loved. So let's model amazing grace this week. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the power of your word. Thank you that you're on your throne. Thank you that you are in control. Lord, forgive me for the many times I have not uh, modeled amazing grace. Uh, Lord, help me to be able to do that. Help us as a church to be able to do that. Help us to love you more and to love one another more, to love the church more and to love lost people more, God, that they would see the truth. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.